So, Ryan McGee, when did you first meet Mike Leach? You know, it's a great question because I had interviewed him many times in like the formal settings, right? Press conference. I mean, as formal as it can be with Mike Leach, the, the post-game press conference, you know, the Monday coaches press conference, um, the media days, those types of things. But the time I always go back to was in 2017. I flew out to Pullman, Washington to do, uh, it was supposed to be an interview for Sports Center for Television. And I was also supposed to write a big profile story for ESPN.com. And I was told I had 15 minutes. And uh, for you non sports writers out there, that is not enough time. Like to do anything. That is a nightmare. And, and certainly not to do TV and to write. And so I purposely wore what I lovingly refer to as my ugliest necktie, which is a tie that my daughter gave me uh, for Father's Day. It's an old, like Civil War era cartographer's rendering of the North Carolina coast. I wore that tie on purpose. And throughout the interview with Mike Leach, I kept fiddling with my tie, kept straightening it out, you know, and his eyes kept going down to it. And I knew I had him. And as soon as the interview ended, he goes, what's the story on this tie? I said, coach, this is the beach where I grew up and going to vacation in North Carolina. I said, in fact, coach, there used to be an old Confederate blockade runner. The remains of it on the beach. It's down under the sand now, but when I was a kid, it was there. And he goes, okay, necktie guy, you're going to dinner with me. <laughs> I was supposed to be there 15 minutes. I stayed three days. And uh, and that was Mike Leach. Man. And, and, no. and, and oh, by the way, when I was leaving, trying to make my flight, leaving his driveway a couple days later, he stopped me and he goes, hey, just so you know, I knew what you were doing with the necktie. I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't want you to think you got away with it. No, but this is the thing. The scheming, the strategy, the approach to how to cover this man over over years. I mean, just to be very clear about this, it doesn't feel like there was anything else like it. There wasn't. And the challenge was to get him to answer an actual football question. And once he did, you learned so much. And you got into this, you know, this beautiful mind, right, of, of what the air raid offense was and how it was born and the way his mind operated. But... Uh, you probably had to listen to a speech about Sir Francis Drake and about Geronimo and about the Battle of Fredericksburg. And then eventually he would tell you how he planned to scheme for the Egg Bowl that weekend. Yeah, I mean, look, McGee, we're talking here now, of course, because we got the news yesterday that Mike Leach passed away at the age of 61 after suffering a heart attack at home over the weekend, and what you've already begun to do here, which is piece together for us an obituary, feels like a task that for this guy is extraordinarily complicated because he's not the standard, oh, this is the greatest coach of all time. This is even a guy who coached at one of the greatest programs of all time. He wasn't that. But what he is, what he meant, what he did, it does it does seem to be as as big almost as anybody in college football. Mike Leach, to me, is why I love college football. All due respect to the NFL, all due respect to every other form of football, every other sports league, 
you know, there is a kind of a committee meeting feeling to professional sports. In college football, you don't know what you're going to get. You might watch a game uh, today that features a triple option offense, you know, versus the fun and gun. You might watch a game tomorrow that features, you know, Jim Harbaugh's old school pro style, whatever, you know, versus the pistol. Mike Leach, to me, embodied that. You never knew what you were going to get. You, it's this personality that couldn't possibly live anywhere else except within the world of college football. And for him to stand out within that world is a testament to who he was. There's a little bit of drama in all this. There's heroes, there's villains. I do think sports are like that. They might hate me, but I'm still a pretty important part of that drama. <laughs> The world of college football is a weird, dramatic place. It is a big business, to be sure, full of pre-professionalism and national TV deals and not nearly enough of that money flowing to the student employees. But it is also undeniably and inextricably still college. You know, college, the kind of place where your teacher can be this complete and utter eccentric who's Digressions alternate unpredictably between genuine genius sometimes and bizarre, verging on villainous ideas, but whose work, whose research can actually transform the world beyond the campus walls, even if he was clearly never cut out to work out there. So today, we tell the story of the unforgettable Mike Leach the teacher, the coach in question, and the world he changed. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Wednesday, December 14th. This is ESPN Daily. So, McGee, you mentioned that Mike Leach, his legacy, I mean, which is a cliche of a word that actually has import here, um, should probably start with the actual football as much as he was loath, it sounds like, to discuss it at times because as an innovator, as a guy who even came to the game in a different way, where does that all begin? Well, it begins in the Rocky Mountains. And you know, this is a guy who was born in California uh, but played his high school football in Cody, Wyoming and dreamed of playing football at BYU. Unfortunately, he had an ankle injury. And that took him off of the playing field. But what he did was he just showed up and sat in film rooms with Lavelle Edwards and with those coaching staffs at BYU that invented, you know, what we now know as, you know, the Robbie Bosco, you know, uh, Ty Detmer, Jim McMahon, high-flying BYU offense, which at the time was Mm. radical. And they did that out of necessity because they realized, you know, Lavelle Edwards was hired to run the wishbone. And he realized, we're not going to win that way. We have to do something different. And Leach loved that. And then as he became a football coach, while he was getting his master's, while he was getting a law degree at Pepperdine, um, he wanted to take what he had seen, that innovation in that BYU Cougars offensive meeting room, and he wanted to take that to the next level. There was an evolution that never stopped, and that's how we ended up with what we now know as the air raid. 
Look, as much as it uh, entertains me to imagine, like, the billboards that Mike Leach might have put up as a lawyer, if he took that path, it sounds like the choice he made um, was, in the end, fairly clear to him. Yes, he had a law degree, never took the bar exam. And he went to his wife, Sharon, and he said, would you rather me be miserable making good money as a lawyer or come home happy every night, probably making no money as a college football coach? He came to me one day and he said, would you rather that I be a lawyer and we make good money, um, but I come home every night miserable, or would you rather have me be a football coach and we might struggle in the beginning, but I'm going to come home happy every night. And I was like, I want you home happy every night. Sharon was always supportive. Now, I got to say that uh, her parents, my mom and several relatives weren't big fans of this uh, not going into law right away after graduation. Then taking a job for 3000 a year at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo didn't totally appeal to him. So he eventually finds his way as a football coach to Iowa Wesleyan. And this is an inflection point in like the history of the entire sport, correct? Because the guy he meets there, another young innovator named Hal Mummy, ends up birthing what exactly? It's the air raid offense. And the only way it could have possibly been created was if you got a room full of crazy people and said, come up with an offense. And, and, and how Mummy's hair stands up, you know, like, like a mad scientist. And Mike Leach is a man who refuses to sleep and wants to talk about Geronimo all the time. And oh, by the way, they had a little quirky, pudgy wide receiver named Dana Hogerson. Oh, man. You know, this is the group <laughs> that's sitting in the room. And meanwhile, um, you know, he's taking classes because that's the only way he could pay off his law school loans. And he he develops this love for for Jackson Pollock. And he got in trouble. He said the only time he ever used his lawyering skills is when he was working at Iowa Wesleyan, this tiny college, and they needed publicity. They wanted people to understand what they were doing there. And so he started doing this publicity on his own. And the PR director at the university was angry. And they suspended him. And that's why he referred to himself to me as the Luther Campbell of Iowa Wesleyan. <laughs> right. The University of Miami figure who was, yeah, uh, too dangerous to be around sometimes. Yeah. No, it was uh, the only time that Iowa Wesleyan, a school of about 600 students, Methodist school, and uh, and <laughs> Luke Campbell are mentioned in the same sentence. <laughs> Correct. But hold on, because you mentioned Jackson Pollock, you mentioned modern impressionism, and those do seem like also maybe the best analogs artistically for what he was doing schematically, right? Like spraying the ball everywhere unpredictably. Throw it up there and, and see what happens. And you might come up with something beautiful. And, you know, when I was in school at Tennessee, he was the offensive coordinator at Kentucky, and Tim Couch was setting passing records at Kentucky. Not exactly mm. a football powerhouse. And so yeah, future I, top pick, Tim Couch, because of it. That's it. And so I became infatuated with this offense. And years later, as a writer, I would go to him. I want to talk about it. Let's break it down. And he would say, This is not complicated. The idea of the air raid is very simple, which is he referred to defenses like water. You know, get it flowing this way, get it flowing that way. All we're trying to do is create open spaces put a receiver or a running back into those open spaces and get the football into their hands in those open spaces. That's it. 
And how they went about that was different. The the pace with which they went about it was very different. But the idea was as simple as football could possibly be is, you know, create an open receiver, get him the football, and let's see how far downfield we can get. Now, it, it, the legend of it, as I came to understand it from afar, was that like his teams didn't really even have playbooks, right? Like it was almost so simple that it it was, I mean, on the verge of insulting to how the rest of football worked. It was like a postcard. I mean, all the way, his this last really great season that he had at Mississippi State, everybody's got like charts, right? Everybody's got the laminated charts, and they got the yeah, seven, the Denny's menu. Yeah, the seventeen guys standing on the sideline with the flip cards and the hand signals, and you know now you got the guys in the multicolored sweatshirts and all that stuff. Right. And Leach's entire playbook while he's marching up and down the field on the powerhouses of the SEC West or USC or Oklahoma or whomever, uh, it was on literally on like an index card, and. That's part of what he loved because he knew that drove the team across the field completely insane. How is he doing this to us? How is he <laughs> hanging 550 yards and 47 points on us? And the best we can tell, it looks like he has a flash card over there. Well, it, it, I mean, it was the pace, the tempo, right? Like the number of, of plays he was running because they could move so fast. And to your point, like they were the true like nightmare scenario for any team with more talent because you got exposed by a team with less. And that's why he made his living at the places where he made his living. That's why Lubbock, Texas was perfect. That's why Pullman, Washington was perfect. That's why Starkville, Mississippi was perfect. I don't know that this would have played whether it was the offense or whether it was you know, just Mike Leach being Mike Leach in Los Angeles or in Austin, Texas, or even in Columbus. But it worked perfectly in the places where he was because there were college towns uniquely, and he was a college guy uniquely. Yeah, and so there was freedom in the system. His quarterbacks had the ability, the autonomy to make the calls in ways that most coaches, again, are not comfortable ceding to a college kid. And so it seemed fun. It seemed really fun to watch. And also, to be very clear about this, it also won a whole damn lot. It won a lot. And, you know, there are certainly criticisms. I mean, the record was above 500. It was 158, 107 in 21 years. Never won a conference championship. Uh, oftentimes would get to the big game. Uh, I think about so many Apple Cups, Washington, Washington State, where they came up short, you know, in a chance to go to the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, there were, there always felt like there were limitations to it. Um, but at the end of the day, there was no limitations to his imagination. And um, that was the entertaining part of it. All right, McGee, after the break, I want to talk to you about Mike Leach, the Renaissance man, and the lightning rod. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. 
every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So you spent a couple of days with Mike Leach, as you alluded to earlier, on the Palouse, right? In Washington State, in one of the more um, peculiar parts of North America. This is back in 2017. What did you learn when you were out there with him about all of the stuff that he was obsessed with outside of football? What I learned, and I had to work to get him to finally go down this road with me, and he ended up agreeing, was that all of this stuff that he loved, whether it be Pirates or whether it be Geronimo, whom he wrote a book about, or yeah, Sir Francis Drake. biography. Absolutely. But, but he, all of these things eventually applied to football. His obsession with Native American culture and the way they just went about their lives on a daily basis. Uh, we may or may not have had a couple of bottles of rum together, uh, in Pullman, Washington late at night. And he talked about the fact that Geronimo's war tactics were very unconventional. Fighting with the mountains to your back. You know, taking your soldiers over the mountain as opposed to following the rivers like every European army school would teach you. Um, you know, he talked about how the Native Americans would hunt for ducks to eat. And they would hollow out gourds and they would go into a pond, a duck pond, and they would hide under those gourds for days and then eventually pop out underneath them once the ducks had gotten used to floating in the pond with these gourds, they'd have dinner. And eventually talking to him, you realize this is how he thought about football constantly, which was just, what can I do to lull the opponent to sleep? What can I do unconventionally, strategically, that they don't see coming, that keeps them unsettled? And that's... It's how he attacked football. He attacked football, you know, just like you learned how Blackbeard attacked the North Carolina coast. Well, the Blackbeard thing, the rum thing, which may or may not be directly a result of the pirate thing. It is one hundred percent directly a result of. Just, I mean, just, just to be a hundred, just to be clear, that's uh, the, the, yeah, the, 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 to, these things are not disconnected. Try to connect the dots here. So, where did the pirate thing? Where on the map did the pirate thing come from? It's this idea of swing your sword which is what, you know, is also the title of his book. And it's this idea of if you're a pirate, you know, are you just going to keep that sword sheathed? Or are you just going to, you know, pace around with it? Or are you going to swing? Are you going to let them know that this is who I am and you are in for a fight and I'm going to attack. I'm not going to wait to be attacked. I'd give the team speeches on various items, and I have a museum replica pirate sword that I'm swinging around. I'm swinging the sword around. I'm still pacing back and forth, swinging the sword around. You know, how are you going to swing your sword? Are you going to have a dull, rusty sword? Are you going to have a, a, a sharp, efficient, deadly sword? And it's why he loved Key West. As a kid, he looked at a map of the United States, and they're learning about the capitals of each state. And he looks at the map of Florida and thinks, what is this dot way out here in the ocean? And he realizes that's Key West. And that's where if you needed him uh, during the offseason, that's where you'd find him when he was between jobs. That's where he lived, rode his bike to the grocery store. I, went to, I love Key West. I went to Key West with my wife one day, and I'm standing outside the hotel, 
This guy goes by on a bike and all of a sudden locks up the brakes and turns around and says, you're not here to interview me, are you? And I realize it's Mike Leach. <laughs> and so that's just, he would hang out in Captain Tony's, which is where Hemingway hung out. And he just, he, he found out the Navy SEALs were training uh, not, not far from his house at the Naval base near Key West. And he talked his way into Naval SEAL training. Didn't participate, but he watched them. And then he took that with him, you know, to Pullman and used that when he taught football. So this this character, right? This multi-dimensional character. This guy is is unapologetic, right? That's a word that seems to recur when when I hear people who know Mike Leach talk about Mike Leach, which also feels euphemistic for okay, this guy was a character and also that has some, you know, negative connotations. He lived to rub people the wrong way and to make them uncomfortable, and that's the way he coached football. And as a result, and sometimes it was by design, sometimes it was just Mike Leach being Mike Leach, he would rub people the wrong way. Listen, there are a lot of Mike Leach detractors. Um, there are a lot of critics. Yeah, I think about when I would talk to other coaches about Leach, particularly when he came to the SEC, what, just a little over two years ago. And a lot of the coaches that came from that Nick Saban tree were like, what's the story on this guy? You know, is he weird? Is he whatever? Yeah. And then they start having these big coaches meetings, you know, three or four times a year. The SEC gets all their coaches in a room just to talk about the issues of the day. And now these same guys who were worried about having to share a room with Mike Leach and share a stadium with Mike Leach are fighting to see who gets to sit with him during these meetings because now they realize he's entertaining. And now they realize he's not a bad guy. But but that personality of his definitely rubbed people the wrong way. I go back to that trip to the Palouse in 2017 all the time. It landed right in the middle of the peak of the uh, national anthem controversy in the NFL. Mm. And Mike Leach asked a question um, that day to the media when a question was asked to him about, you know, his team was not on the field for the anthem as most college football teams are not. But the question about kneeling to kneel or not to kneel was put out there. And he asked a question of the room. He said, I need to know what these protests are about. And then he said, I want to know because I fear when protests become widespread that people listen to the noise, they see the images, but they lose touch with what the initial reason for that was. And those comments rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And he said, if I'm on the field, I'm standing because I'm proud to be an American. And, and set it at a time when, you know, uh, that was the touchstone issue, not just in sports, but in the United States. Yes. He wasn't afraid to express his opinion. Whether you agreed with it or not, whether it made you uncomfortable or not, you know, that's Mike Leach. No, it's, it's, it's profoundly unshocking, right? That like Mike Leach had some, had some takes that were bad, had some conspiracies that he was curious about, was a guy with an online presence that proved problematic, but all of that seems to be like, you know, in terms of just national attention, um, an undercard to the thing that happened that got him fired from Texas Tech, right? Like this is 2009. How do you begin to tell the story of Adam James and Mike Leach as a matter of, you know, comprehensiveness here is concerned? Well, it was... um. It was a very typical Mike Leach situation in that his brashness 
that he believed would push this forward and make everybody realize in his mind how dumb it all was uh, ended up just rubbing everyone the wrong way. Um, And looking back, I think he wished he had handled that just a little bit differently. But it was a situation involving Adam James, who was the son of Craig James, the Pony Patriot, a longtime ESPN football analyst. Uh, Adam James suffered a concussion. He was examined the next day and and told that he was not supposed to practice. Uh, According to the James family, Leach ordered Adam to stand in the equipment room uh, near the practice facility there in Lubbock. And the equipment room being, as it was portrayed a lot of times, is just this shed. Um, Leach um, was asked to apologize to the family. Uh, Craig James was very public about his criticism of the situation. Um, Mike Leach, quite frankly, was very angry at ESPN for a long time because he felt like the network, this is how he felt, had sided with James over him. Um, and he was fired because he uh, he refused to apologize uh, to the James family. The university referred to that as a defiant act of subordination. That's a quote. And um, uh, to his literal dying day, uh, if you wanted to get Mike Leach fired up, fired up, you would ask him about the money that he believed Texas Tech still owed him um, from what he believed was a uh, wrongful firing. Yeah, I mean, he ends up suing ESPN, Craig James, Texas Tech. The suits get dismissed. And it's worth noting that, you know, for all of the uh, natural bad blood you would assume would linger there, um, it, it seemed like he was, A, still very happy to talk to ESPN later on, yep. talk to you, and also, more than that, like, he was uncowed when it came to his desire to say the things he thought, even if other people were alternately um, made uncomfortable or horrified by some of his things that he wanted to express. What he would say to me and to others was that, uh, I think the way I stated earlier was that he would do things differently. And what he would say was, he would have done things differently just to make it go away quicker. And that's what I think. But but the reality is, he toned down nothing. You know, this was at the dawn of social media. Right. And we all right. know uh, that once he got into social media, you know, over the next couple of years, and, you know, hosted a, a satellite uh, radio show for, for several years between Texas Tech and Washington State. Uh, clearly, the situation with the Craig James family uh, did nothing to quiet him. So coming up, I want to talk to you about the stories, the best, the funniest, the stories that you will not forget and that, yeah, I'd like to remember. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. So when most college football fans think of Mike Leach, they do, I think, think of the silly. We just talked about a bunch of the more serious stuff, the stuff that imperiled his job security. But the stuff that he would do at, like, boring, otherwise boring press conference settings, during sideline interviews, the way he made it into theater, how would you describe how he approached those duties that, yeah, lots of coaches otherwise despise? Whatever was on his mind, he said. (laughs) And a lot of people have asked me, do you think he thought about this ahead of time? Do you think it was scripted? And I don't. I really don't. He might have known what the topic of conversation was going to be or what the question was going to be. That didn't mean he was going to answer the question. You never knew where it was going to go. The best part was talking to his players about it over the years. I remember talking to the offensive line at Washington State, and those guys go, hey, man, have you ever heard of the Battle of So-and-so? And they mentioned, like, you know, I, I want to say it was like Fort Sumter. I'm like, yeah. And I'm having to explain it to them. And I'm like, is this what he talked about at practice today? They're like, yeah. <laughs> They're like, eventually he gets back to football. I go, does he? And they go, sometimes. And so that's just who he was. Now, over the years, we heard him uh, wax poetic about uh, wedding advice. My wisdom would be, uh, you you have to stay out of the way. Now, and I wish you a very happy marriage, and I'm sure you'll have one. But uh, I'm just telling you, uh, when it comes to marriages, uh, the women lose their mind. About Halloween candy, also. We talked about on the broadcast how you hate candy corn. What's your favorite Halloween candy? corn. I mean, I completely hate candy corn. Um, uh, when I was a kid, well, gummy bears, let's see. Uh, gummy bears for sure. And then, uh, but, uh, um, you know, they have those nerds clusters, which is new. With the gummy. Yeah, which is good. The nerds clusters is good. And then if you go chocolate, uh, probably almond joy. Love it. And it does seem like also he was endlessly fascinated by how all the Pac-12 mascots would do if they were in a Mortal Kombat fighting tournament. Well, first of all, what kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. I'm going to say the Wildcat's out. Uh, the Trojan, is he, does he have a horse or is he on foot? Does he have a bow and arrow or just his sword? Uh, the Bruin, definitely formidable. Another bear up there at Cal. Uh, the tree, I imagine that tree's going to get chopped down. It's unless we're going to go with the bird and somebody might get pecked or something. I don't know. And so what's the one that you love the most? What's the one that you think about now still and, and kind of have to smile at? So I keep going back to my trip to Wazoo in 2017. 
But the reason I was there was they had a huge game with Southern Cal on, on a Friday night, which is super unusual in college football, particularly at the time it was a top 16 matchup. And so their schedule was all screwed up because they're getting ready for a Friday game instead of a Saturday game. And when I asked Leach about this, and this was on a Monday, he said, and I quote, really, today is Monday, but to me it's Tuesday. So Tuesday will be Wednesday, and Wednesday will be Thursday. But then again, we'll probably do our Thursday night routine about like we normally would. So Thursday really is just kind of Thursday. And thinking back on Sunday, it was really more like Sunday and Monday combined. <laughs> but today, Monday, this is definitely Tuesday. <sighs> it does It does feel like um, the jukebox. Like, I could put a quarter into you, McGee, and we could be here for literal hours here, just going through the things that, that you remember talking to him about. Well, and you don't even take notes. I mean, you, you know, as a writer, I mean, you know this. You, you furiously take notes when you're doing an interview and you have to turn a story around quickly. Yes. But in this case, with, with Leach ever, I never wrote anything down because it was useless. <laughs> you just record it, and then you go back and transcribe it. And once you're done laughing at what you've just typed, then you figure out how to fit it into a story. But he makes writers look really good because uh, I couldn't have made up a quote like that. No, and so I'm curious when the last time you you got a quote from Mike Leach was. When was the last time at least that you talked to the guy? I talked to him the week following the Egg Bowl. Um, you know, a dramatic win and, um, and, and the close of an eight-win season, regular season that to me uh, was as impressive as any season Mike Leach had as a head football coach. This team, this Mississippi State team, was not expected to do much. Um, they had a lot of questions about where they're going to put people and who was going to throw it and who was going to catch it. And they scared the most difficult division in college football, the SEC West. They kept that division on their toes all season long. Yeah. And so the last time I talked to him, um, talked to him on the phone and then texted with him just a little bit, um, you know, right after Thanksgiving weekend, right after the Egg Bowl win. And uh, and it was a hilarious exchange about, you know, it looks like we're going to go to the Outback Bowl. And then he said, but it's not the Outback Bowl anymore. Didn't that used to be the Hall of Fame Bowl? And didn't it have some other name, like with some T-shirts or something at some point? Anyway, that's the bowl game I think we're going to play in. <laughs> <laughs> that was... That was it. Somebody who clearly reveres the institution that he disrupted. Yeah, he who who takes it as yeah maybe not quite as seriously as as yeah some other coaches celebrating their bowl births. You know, I, I want to talk to him this week. I had planned to call him this week because I'm I'm watching the Heisman Trophy ceremony just last Saturday night, and two of the four finalists in New York were coached by Mike Leach disciples. You know three of the top five vote-getters, four of the ten, were coached by direct Mike Leach disciples. And, you know, Lincoln Riley is in the process of transforming USC football in the image of the air raid and of what he learned, you know, in this coaching tree. And, uh, you know, there's Josh Heupel, who played quarterback. And Hendon Hooker, despite missing, you know, really the last two games of the year, was a top five Heisman vote-getter. And, you know, say what you want about Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals, but the air raid has made inroads into the league. Mm -hmm. 
And so for all the criticism of the air raid and all the criticism of there's always a ceiling for what the Mike Leach offense could yeah, do. Yeah, the gimmick stuff, yeah. But you know what? There's still results out there. And my ultimate measure of a coach in college sports is what does their coaching tree look like? And the reality is you start going through the Mike Leach coaching tree and there are roots everywhere in this football game, including TCU in the college football playoff. And so as we're left now with the tree, the, the, the branches that continue to bloom in Mike Leach's absence, McGee, at the very end here, I, I did want to play some sound from another interview that Mike Leach gave to our friend and colleague, Jeremy Schapp. Because when Schapp visited Leach, he asked a question a couple years ago now that, that we need to play given the news that we just got. When people write the Mike Leach obituary, and we uh, hope that's many years from now, many, many years from now, how do you want to be remembered? Well, that's their problem. They're the one writing the obituary. I mean, what do I care? I'm dead. Yeah, I mean, McGee, this is, this is it, it's funny, it's chilling, it's quintessential Mike Leach answering what he wants his own obituary to be, which is not an obituary at all. And I ask you this, I play this for you now, and I ask you about this because you had spoken with him recently, right? You knew him, you covered him. How are you going to remember him now that he's gone? First of all, I hadn't heard that in a really long time. And, um, and I'm laughing to myself because I had to write it this week. I, I had to write it for the SEC Network this week. And thinking about him somewhere laughing at me because he knew I was going to have to do this. <laughs> and then maybe one day, depending on what you believe, maybe I'll see him one day and he can criticize what I wrote. And w but what I wrote was, I, this is how I opened it. I said, it's super easy to throw around the phrase, he's one of a kind, or to say someone marches to the beat of their own drummer. And, and I wrote this sentence. I said, but in the case of Mike Leach, there aren't enough phrases or cliches or even words in the dictionary to accurately describe the man of whom they didn't merely break the mold. There's no way anything as rigid of a mold could have been used to create him in the first place. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I go on to talk about all these words in the thesaurus, unique, nonconformist, idiosyncratic. Chances are he knew those already, and he probably knew two or three words that we've never heard of that aren't in the thesaurus that mean the same thing. And so... To me, the ultimate measure of someone is, you know, what's life going to be like without them? And the reality is, and I wrote this too, um, the college football world, sure, but the world in general is a less interesting place because Mike Leach is no longer in it. Yeah, Ryan McGee. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, bud. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>